Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello there, plant friends. Thank you for joining me again. Here we are halfway through October already. And... It's been pretty great lately. I mean, with, you know, we've had slightly cooler temperatures and really beautiful sunshiny weather. It's almost perfect. I mean, if we had a bit of rain, then I would say that it really was perfect, but it's been really nice. Kind of like a second spring. That's really what fall is in Texas, central Texas anyway. It's like a second spring or maybe it's like reverse spring. Anyway, it's been pretty pleasant for the most part. Now, although we've had like this really great weather here in Taylor, I'm just going to straight up tell you that my garden and my yard are just wrecked. Everything just looks awful. The grass, for the most part, after this long, hot summer, it is just still crispy from the lack of rain. And, you know, I'm cool with that. That's fine because I'm not into lawns, but... Everything else just looks like crap. It's just like limping along and it's looking scraggly and just exhausted. I don't blame them. I mean, I sort of look and feel that way too. But, you know, another uh, another thing about my yard and everybody else um, pretty much in Central Texas is that we're dealing, still dealing with aphid honeydew making everything sticky and gross. Aphids are sucking insects and they suck juices from the plants. And since they eat a lot, they poop a lot. And the plant juices are high in sugars, um, way more than the insects can process. So what they don't use, they excrete out. And that sweet, sticky substance is called honeydew. And there seems to be just a whole, whole lot lately. I mean, people are always complaining about it. I don't think that we necessarily have more aphids, um, more so than normal happens every year. Um, I I think that it just seems like we have a lot more honeydew because we haven't gotten any good rain in a while and that really helps wash away the honeydew and it's not near as noticeable. Aphid populations tend to peak in the spring and the fall when temperatures are mild So I'm hopeful that once it starts to cool off, we're going to have um, less issues with those aphids and their honeydew. I've not been, you know, particularly annoyed with the honeydew issue on everything. I mean, you just, you know, wash it off your car, whatever. It's no big deal. It's not to me. What I have been annoyed with are the aphids on my roselle plants. Because, I, you know, I've been growing them all summer long so that I can harvest enough of the roselle to make tea and save, save that, dry it for later in the year. And these stupid aphids have been crawling all up in the flowers. And I hate it. It's so, so annoying. 
Well, if you're not familiar with roselle, um, they are plants that are related to cotton, okra, and hibiscus, and they grow really, really well here in Central Texas. Um, another name for them that you might be more familiar with is uh, Florida Hamica, or just Hamica, and it's the type of plant that is used for making hibiscus tea or um, agua fresca, which is just a beautiful ruby red, lemony, tart, very refreshing drink. I love it. Roselle is different from regular ornamental hibiscus plants. Um, they put out a very similar flower to hibiscus, okra, and cotton, um, but they're much smaller. Some are cream uh, colored and some are pink with these gorgeous burgundy eyes. I love them. They have green leaves and beautiful burgundy stems. They're pretty striking. The flowers on mine are pale pink and also really, really pretty. Uh, I, I think they're great plants. I mean, they're beautiful. And then you also get tea. That's pretty sweet. And I grew Roselle last year and I love the plants so much that I decided to grow even more this year. And I've got about 15 plants out in my garden. Now the part of the Roselle that people grow to eat or make tea, it's not the blossom, but the calyx of the flower. The calyx is the part of the flower that surrounds the flower bed before it opens. The calyx is like a small leafy cup that's between the petals and the stem. On most flowers, the calyx is green, but on roselle flowers, the calyx is burgundy and it's thick and fleshy. It's really unusual. Once the flowers are pollinated and the blossoms wither and fall off, the beautiful burgundy calyx closes around the seed pod and that's when you know when to pick them and it's roselle season right now. It's, um, it's time to harvest them. But this year, the aphids have gotten all up in the calyx and I find it so freaking annoying um, because I don't want bugs in my tea. I mean, nobody wants that. That's gross. It's really annoying because it also adds an extra step of having to thoroughly wash off those aphids that have crawled up and gotten inside of them. But I'm still really happy that I have my roselle. And since I have so many more plants this year, I have a lot more to dry and save for making tea later. All right, really the only other thing in my garden that looks good is my tatume squash. And it is really happy. I mean, so far the squash vine borers have not found it. And I'm getting quite a bit of squash from those plants. Now, I like squash and tatume is a really great variety because it's dual purpose. You can harvest the squash while it's small and young and the skin is still soft. And when it's like that, you can use it just like zucchini or you can let it stay on the vine and the skin will just get hard like a winter squash and then you can cook it just like any winter squash. But honestly, my very favorite thing about these squash plants are just the big gold orangish star-shaped blossoms. They're huge. They're like the size of my palm and it's that just that 
rich golden orange color and it just makes me happy because it's so nice to have these happy squash plants, the blossoms, the vines, all of them out there because they look great. They look fantastic. And everything else looks like crap. (laughs) Um, But you know, the good news about the vegetable garden is that it is mid-October and it's a fantastic time of year to plant broccoli, kale, spinach, beets, lettuce, cabbage, radishes, onions, and garlic. So if you've been putting off your garden, you need to be getting in gear and getting those plants and seeds in the ground. Now, that's what I'm going to be doing because I have to replace my broccoli plants. And it's the drought's fault. I mean, the drought did kill my broccoli, but not in not in the way that you might think. Um, and it's not because I wasn't watering them or taking care of my plants, because I was. I really was. I was totally babying them. Now, friends, I was excited about getting a jump start on the broccoli this year, even though it's been unusually hot and dry. Um, you know, the recommended planting window for broccoli is the beginning of September through the end of October. And I was just super pleased with myself for buying the plants and getting all the beds and cleaned up and actually getting them planted all in the same weekend. I don't know, it was like maybe a month ago. Um, You know, it was still early, early September when I did this and it was still warm. It was still consistently up in the eighties, but you know, I had a plan. I had a shade, um, erected for them so they wouldn't get the worst of the afternoon sun. And I was really taking care of them and things were going okay. I mean, they were struggling. It's, it's, it was hot. Um, broccoli and the other coal crops like cabbage and kale, they just do not tolerate the heat. They just don't do well in the heat. Like some of my friends. Um, also the caterpillars, um, started eating holes through my broccoli plants. So I was out there every day checking them and squishing caterpillars and then spraying them with BT to get rid of them. And, you know, they weren't, you know, super thriving or anything. Um, they didn't look like they were that great, but I felt I was doing a really good job keeping these little broccoli plants alive. And then my chickens got out and found the garden. So they were able to get out um, because the chicken fence, uh, the fence to the chicken yard, um, it had shifted a bit and wasn't the gate wasn't lining up and closing properly. And that's because of the drought. Um, Our black clay soil that we have here in Taylor, um, in drought conditions, it just shrinks up so tightly. And, you know, that that causes things to shift, like fence posts and foundations. Anyway, um, the chickens squeezed through the gap in the gate and got out and were exploring all over the yard and they found the vegetable garden. And amazingly, they left everything alone except for the broccoli. I was annoyed. I really, really wanted to be mad at them, 
but I was probably just too tired. Um, <laughs> chickens just want to be chickens and, you know, I don't really ex- blame them for exploring and getting hungry along the way. And broccoli is pretty tasty, but you know, lucky for me, I can just replant and guess what? There's still plenty of time to get some new plants and plant some broccoli in this season. Fall is not my favorite season, especially when it feels, it still feels like one long drawn out hot dry summer that never will end. I prefer long sunny days of spring and summer and I love it when everything is just starting to bud out and turn green. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, fall is pretty much springtime in reverse. Um, and while I like the cooler temperatures, the shorter days, the shorter amount of daylight, and then, you know, the leaves dropping and stuff, uh, I don't know, it just makes me feel, uh, it's not for me. But the good thing is, is that fall in central Texas is a great time for gardening. With the drop in the temperatures overnight, it's finally cool enough to be able to plant again Fall is the very best time for planting trees and shrubs and perennials since there is just enough time for plants to get a, to establish a strong root system before going dormant over the winter. If you are interested in adding a tree or two to your property, fall is the ideal time for planting all trees except for bare root and citrus trees. Bare root and citrus are best planted in the spring. But if you want shade or ornamental trees, this is the perfect time. Trees are really, really great additions to your landscape. They provide shade and beauty to your yard. Plus they add value to your property too. A nice shade tree at your house can help you save on your utility bill in the summertime too, because a tree's canopy can provide shade to your house which keeps your house cooler so your air con- air conditioner won't have to work as hard and thereby your air conditioning bill should be lower. And just by blocking the sun, using all those leaves and canopy to block out the sun, especially when the tree is placed on the west side of your home and blocking out that brutal afternoon sun. So if you have some room on the west side of your house for a nice shade tree, seriously consider planting one. But really, any place in your yard is a great place for a tree. When you're out shopping for trees, always go for native and native adaptive varieties. They are going to do best. They will be more drought tolerant and they're gonna have less issues with insects and diseases. And this is where doing some research before tree shopping will be beneficial. Trees are a lot more expensive than shrubs and other plants like garden perennials. So make sure you consider several things like where is it going to be planted? How much sun is it going to get? Does it have all the characteristics that I want? I like to recommend going to local garden centers for trees. Local owners and workers at the garden centers are just so much more knowledgeable about trees that they sell more so than um, most employees at those big box stores, um, local nurseries buy plants and trees themselves, and they can, ex- they can select exactly what plants they want. Those big box stores, they might have slightly cheaper prices, 
but their corporate buyers typically live in other states and they really don't know our soil conditions. So if you spend a little extra and shop at a local garden center with people who have actual experience with local plants, you'll be much more successful. If you are looking for a natural and sustainable way to improve the soil in your garden without spending a fortune on expensive soil amendments, try planting a cover crop. Cover crops have been used in agriculture for thousands of years as a way to naturally and sustainably improve soil quality. Cover crops aren't just for large-scale farming. Backyard gardeners can plant cover crops too. Planted in the ground, in raised beds, and even in containers, cover crops keep soil bacteria healthy, add nutrients, and prevent erosion while attracting pollinators and other beneficial insects. True Leaf Market offers a great selection of cover crop seeds, including their best-selling all-purpose garden cover crop mix, which is really popular with backyard gardeners. Order online at trueleafmarket.com and be sure to use promo code PH15 to save 15% on cover crop seeds at trueleafmarket.com. You are listening to Plowed Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. And then head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Host Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play or pause and rewind my show whenever you want, please download some episodes and be sure to leave me a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading Plow and Host episodes provides me with show statistics. Okay, so as I mentioned before, fall is the ideal time for planting almost all shade and ornamental trees, and you should be able to find a really good selection of shade trees at the nurseries. All the basics are going to be easy to find. Elms, oak, ash, cedar trees, laurels, um, and there's so many different varieties of each of those. It can be a little overwhelming, but taking the time to research, you can find a tree that is perfect for your yard, one that has all the characteristics that you want for the space that you have, and one that is going to grow well in our part of Central Texas. Um, my favorite website for looking up information on Texas native trees um, is actually a page put together by the Texas A&M Forest Service. If you just go type in Texas Tree ID, Texas A&M, it should be one of the very first websites that comes up. And I just freaking love that website. It has, uh, it's really one of the better pages I've come across. Um, and it has great pictures and consistent information. So it's very easy to compare trees all on that one page. And I went ahead and I put that, uh, the link to that website. Um, in the show notes, so it's easy for you to go find, and I hope that you'll go check it out since it is a really good page, and it takes a lot of confusion out of the different varieties, um, because sometimes there's a lot of different varieties of trees. So you want a, an oak tree? Well, you can go out to this website, 
And you can decide if you want a live oak or a Monterey oak or a post oak or a Spanish oak. I mean, seriously, there's four pages of just oak trees on the website. And it's great. It's a great resource for researching trees. So again, that's the Texas A&M Forest Service Tree ID website. All right, even though right now it doesn't feel like fall and most of the deciduous trees in our part of Central Texas really have not started doing anything to ramp up for winter dormancy, it's not going to be long before the leaves start to change color and drop. Texas, as we know, is not known for its fall foliage, um, especially around here. But if you appreciate the seasonal color change, then consider adding some trees that are going to add a bit of colorful interest to your backyard. If you like the vibrant orange fall foliage, that's my favorite, check out Chinese Pistache. Now, don't let the name throw you. It is a Texas native adaptive tree. So it's one that is not native to our area, but it grows like a native. Adaptive plants have nearly all of the positive growing characteristics of natives, and they're just as drought as tolerant and also pest and disease resistant like native plants. Chinese pistache is highly recommended by Texas A&M horticultural experts because these trees are exceptionally drought tolerant and they grow so well all over Texas from El Paso all the way to Houston. They have small individual leaves that kind of alternate on the twig and they grow like 10 to 15 inches long. And these long twigs kind of, um, it gives them a nice soft drapey canopy. Chinese pistache is a medium sized landscape tree and it grows to about 40 feet tall. The dark green leaves will turn yellow, but then they turn orange. And depending on the weather and soil conditions, the leaves can actually turn red or crimson. The female trees have small berries um, that the birds just really like to eat. Now, if you have room for a larger tree in your yard, shimmered oaks are another great choice for vibrant fall color. Shimmered oaks grow 90 feet tall and 60 feet wide, and they provide lots of shade. They're a pretty big tree. In, um, throughout the year, their leaves are deep green. And, you know, if somebody says draw an oak leaf or you have an oak leaf in your mind, um, they have that classic oak leaf shape. But instead of turning brown like many oak leaves, oak trees, the shimmered oak leaves, they turn scarlet red in the fall. Really pretty. Shimmered oaks now, and then they do prefer a slightly more acidic soil. Our black clay soil that we have over here in our part of Central Texas, in Taylor and beyond, um, it's quite alkaline. So be sure to add some pine straw or fresh oak leaves for mulch around your newly planted shimmer oak. Both fresh oak leaves and pine straw are acidic, and as they break down, they can also help neutralize the soil pH. There are soil products that you can buy that you can use to help adjust the soil pH, but you know what? 
Compost and leaf mulch are really the best soil amendments that you can add to plants. Some other trees that do well for us in Central Texas that also give nice fall foliage are red buds. These are really great if you don't have room for a really large shade tree or if you just want to plant some understory trees among your existing trees. Eastern, Mexican, and Texas red buds all do well in Central Texas. You also get beautiful magenta flowers in the springtime and they have like a nice sweet heart-shaped leaf that turns yellow in the fall. If you are really into burgundy leaves, eastern red buds do come in a couple of varieties that um, have dark purple foliage so you can um, look for those. Um, a couple of them are called forest pansy and merlot. Some other um, trees, if you want some fall color, you can check out Big Tooth Maple Sweet Gum, Ornamental Pear, Red Oak, and Crepe Myrtles. Now, if you're interested in learning more about Crepe Myrtles and you missed the episode, just go back to the Plant Host Podcast and look for episode 75. Um, I talk about Crepe Myrtles. And, you know, they grow really well for us here in Central Texas. And I think they're probably one of the most interesting landscape plants. And there's something going on with them all year long. So episode 75 from September 15th. And I don't know, maybe I can convince you to add some to your garden. All right. Another tree that is quite nice for fall color is cedar elm. Especially if you are more fond of gold and yellow leaves. Cedar elm is a fairly fast growing native tree and it gets to be, it can get up to be 75 feet tall. These are true elm trees and they're not at all related to cedar or juniper. So don't let the name turn you off if you are worried about cedar fever allergies. They are totally different plants, they're not related at all. You cannot have cedar fever from elm trees. Now, I, I was kind of curious, like, why on earth would they call them cedar elms if they're not related and they don't really look like them or anything? So I just, like, tried to do, like, a quick search and try to find that out, and I really did not find a very satisfying answer. Really, the only thing I found was one website that said that they grow near cedars, and I think that's like the dumbest reason to name a tree. But anyway, cedar elms are really nice trees. And they're primarily grown for shade because they have a dense canopy that's made up of these teeny tiny inch long leaves. And these cute little leaves grow pretty thick on the tree. And it's this density that makes them a really nice shade tree. They have nice dark green leaves and the leaves have like a sawtooth edge. Um, but in the fall, that's when they get amazing. They just turn this fantastic shade of sunshine gold. And since they have so many leaves, cedar elms, when they turn yellow, they just kind of beam and glow and they're really, really striking. And that's probably why they're becoming a really popular landscape tree. 
So you get summertime shade plus a really nice color change in the fall. Leaves start to change color as the temperature cools down and the days get shorter. The green chlorophyll in the leaves, it starts to fade as the tree starts to go dormant for the winter. As the green dissipates, other pigments are able to show through. So orange and yellow pigments are always in the leaves, but the dark green chlorophyll masks that out. So that's why they start to change and that's why you see the different colors. No matter what kind of tree you decide to plant, just be sure that you read the plant tag and make sure wherever you place it has, it has plenty of room. Some trees get really, really big and you need to be mindful of their mature size. Even though most trees are scrawny little things when we buy them, eventually they will grow up. So make sure you plant them far enough away from each other and definitely far enough away from your house or your neighbor's house or the power lines. And it's one of my pet peeves is trees and bushes that are planted way too close to buildings. And then they end up getting severely pruned. And I feel bad for the trees because they didn't plant themselves. I mean, if somebody had just read the tag to see the full size and then they could have just planted them like a few more feet away, then they wouldn't have to hire somebody to come hack up their tree and cut it all up and make it look stupid and ugly. Um, I see that, see that probably more with shrubs and bushes, but it's avoidable, so just, just read the tag and then plant properly. When planting trees, dig a hole that is twice the size of the root ball and break up the roots if they seem like they're pot bound. If the roots are kind of wound up in the bottom of the pot, just break those up gently. And then backfill, put it in the hole, backfill with some soil and some fresh compost. If you have a tree in a five gallon pot, then you'll need a 10 gallon hole. So just a hole that's twice the size of your tree. Place the tree in the hole and then backfill it with dirt. Um, taking out that extra dirt makes it looser and that is really good for the roots. The softer soil will help the tree get established and then it's gonna put on new roots. A couple shovelfuls of compost in the hole is also going to improve the soil. It's gonna provide nutrients and attract some microbes. And this is really gonna help your tree establish roots. Now, I see a lot of newly planted trees that are staked and tied up for support. Um, I understand why it's done. I'm just kind of on the fence about doing this. Um, I think a lot of people do this because they see it being done, especially like in a commercial setting where the person who planted it isn't tending to it. If they plant it, they just plant it and they leave. Now at home, you're gonna know what the conditions are. You're gonna know if it's a very windy location. You're gonna know how deep it's planted. You're gonna know to check on it and you're gonna be around. If a tree is planted in an area where there are really high winds or you planted a tree that is top heavy or maybe you're planting like a bare root tree, then it might be beneficial 
um, to temporarily stake it just until the roots have time to get established. Trees get stronger from being allowed to sway with the wind. Um, they develop strong root systems with that will support the trunk and the branches and all other future growth. So I'm kind of on the fence on like if you really need to or not, but choice is yours. And you can always go back and stake it and try to retrain it a little bit if you think that you need to. Okay, well, thank you for joining me today. I do want to give you a quick reminder that I have a column that appears in two local newspapers, the Taylor Press and the Elgin Courier. My column runs in the Taylor Press every other Saturday and in the Elgin Courier every other Wednesday. Of course, you can always pick up print copies or you can find it online. All right, I gotta go. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.